This is the big, I agree with you uh, perfectly. This is the basic problem. Then what do you that want white people uh, think they're better What's than that I can others? Do? I can't solve the problem. You guys pull the strings at closed schools. You guys draw the boundaries that keep our kids restricted to the ghetto. You guys write up the restrictive covenants that keep us out of houses. So it's up to you to talk to your brothers and your sisters and persuade them that they have a responsibility. We've assumed ours for over 400 years, and we're tired of this kind of stuff now. We're not going to suffer patiently anymore. No more turning the other cheek. No more blessing our enemies. No more praying for those who despitefully use us. We're going to show you that we've learned the lessons you've taught us. We've studied your history, and you did not take over this country by singing, We Shall Overcome. You did not gain control of the world like you have it now by dealing fairly with a man and keeping your word. Hello guys and welcome to a new episode of Don't Let The Stands. You're here today with your hosts, Eats McKenzie and... Nicholas Terrell. And Chopin. And for any new listeners, we are Don't Let The Stands, which is a music and pop culture podcast with a mark focus on stand culture. How are you guys doing today? Um, I am... I'm drained, like to be very honest with you. I'm drained as a black person. I'm drained just in general, like it's just a lot. I first want to say RIP to all the black bodies right now, which are highly visible in terms of media, culture. Um, so that includes George Floyd in the UK. It includes Belly Regina. It includes a, just a lot of bodies across the world. Black women and black men continue to face oppression in the face of white supremacy, which is co-opted by modern white people yes if you're listening you are complicit if you're not speaking out or donating to all the trust funds so yeah i am exhausted i have been barely able to do anything this week in terms of work in terms of writing but luckily last night i was able to write like 1200 words so that was that was very therapeutic i finished at four in the morning but it just it just felt really good to think about something else because it's been everywhere Mum's talked about it, friends have talked about it, cousins have spoken about it. So it's just, it's very draining right now. But trying to keep optimistic, we're going to have, we have a show to do and it's luckily some different news. So yeah, I hope you guys have done well though. And the weather's out, it's a good day. I'm going to go to the park later. So I'm trying to keep it positive as well. Hopefully by yourself. Um, Yeah, by myself. But social distancing, going to try and keep away from the crowds because it's packed. Like I've been two nights last week and it's just people are trying to do anything like kick a ball about exercise all of that and it's just a bit like you have to try and find your corner um but yeah how are you guys um so i want to continue from nick's point i would also like to send my condolences to the family of tony mcdade he was a black trans man who was murdered by the police in florida also earlier this week so i also want to um send my condolences and love to his family and friends and um, unfortunately, I've been very numb to all this. I kind of feel like, should I feel more enraged or should I feel more emotionally weathered by all of this? And sadly, I I am not because this has like, been happening. I guess in terms of my personal history in my life, like I think I've really been privy to the true structural and systematic racist policies and government and police forces over the last seven years that's when i've like that's my generation i feel and i feel like at this point i'm just very numb and desensitized to all of this so 
I just, I'm just, yeah, that's where I am. Like, I'm speechless. And I'm just kind of like, well, I don't really know what where we go from here. What do we do now? Because everyone's saying, do this, do that, protest, p- petition this, mm. and donate money. But that's all been done thousands of times. And I'm not saying that to stop people or deter people from doing those things, like, today and going forward. By all means, continue. But I just, mm. I think for me personally, I'm just at a point where um, my pessimism is... is is gleaming mm. and uh my hopelessness is gleaming and kind of just yeah that's where i am i'm at and also i'm tired before eden speaks i just want to say i feel exactly the same like a shopping in some senses as well but i think with george and the visibility that got and then all the other stories like brianna and all of that later in the week and then the british cases too um it just opened a wounds that i thought I'd put a plaster on, if that makes sense. It kind of, because the first time I felt like this was in modern times is Trayvon Martin. And then it kept going on, as Chopé said, like we've seen the ugly face of this society and what goes on and stuff. But I think over the last two years, I've kind of said, right, I'm only focusing on black people in terms of like safe spaces, in terms of self-care, all of that jazz and just numbing myself to the trauma in films and and on social media and in real life. But I think it's just opened up a real wound and I completely get what you mean in terms of where do we go from here, which is why I actually tried something new, which was donating to an actual fund that helps with people who are incarcerated because I'm ready for them to riot. I want to see police stations burn and I'm very clear in what I'm saying right now. I want that to happen now. It's time. Um, which is why I'm paying for and helping my people in every way, shape or form to get out of prison when they are arrested or taken um, falsely accused and all of that. I think that's the new elevation of where I'm at and I'm, I'm ready to see some real kind of a tug of war because that's the only way people have really got things throughout history um, if we look at change and social change and stuff like that. So... I my complete solidarity is with all the people in Minneapolis, in Atlanta, in New York today. Louisville. Who are going to protest. Louisville, all of the basically most states with black people and the UK because there's a protest going on tomorrow too. Yeah, I, I completely get what you mean, shopping. So I don't know if that makes, makes me sound bad or makes me sound like... Um, it doesn't. I don't care. No, it's protecting your peace as well. I think ultimately when we... we we have to be vigilant on ourselves because how can we live life if we're not mentally in the right place to do so? So first and foremost is being self-care, being self-caring to one, one another and yourself. But then everyone has a different part to play in this. And I think if you're a fighter and you want to do that, I'm with you. If you want to protect your peace and educate, like I've seen on your story, Shope, be that person. If you want to donate, be that person. Or if you just need time to step away, be that person as well. I don't judge anyone for any approach. I think it's important that we understand that we don't need to apologise for our hurt or feel uncomfortable when communicating that something has upset us. And that's currently the state that I'm in. Um, So I'm in a very recalcitrant type of mood at the moment um and like i'm in the mood of justice but also thinking of 
how we protect our mental health. Me personally, there's only so much that I can engage with. I've spoken about getting overwhelmed by the internet before and it's only been intensified when I've come back and seen the damage. So just to add context to what I'm saying, I left Twitter for I think five days or six days um, just because I had a lot of personal things going on and I came back and things were moving at 100 miles per hour. It was very difficult to actually just exist online whilst being black for a lot of people and to that, I would say if you are feeling overwhelmed, if you are feeling like the world is on your shoulders right now, I know you feel like your voice is needed at the moment, but sometimes at least for a day, you need to step away and you need to just take a breath because you being upset and you being mentally sane is a form of protest. Like you being able to react to things in your own way without putting out in the world for a second is a form of protest because they don't want us to be sane and that's where I'm at currently I'm aware that Malcolm X's birthday recently passed on the 19th yeah and uh, Marquis has an amazing episode on Malcolm X on his show This American Negro which I listened to recently and as much as I am frustrated at what's going on in the world and extremely hurt by some people that we would call friends who have suddenly gone silent. There is a part of me that is taking this opportunity to lean more into my identity and who I am as a black man. And the ways I've been doing that is by a meditation. So connecting with myself through the world and also doing a lot of reading into like the history of the Moors, the history of um, the Caribbean and look, just a lot of reading really because it's an opportunity because I feel like at the moment a lot of us are questioning what we have done to the world to be treated in this way and that's not the way it works unfortunately like I think because growing up we were taught maths like one plus one has to equal two racism doesn't have an equation it doesn't have a system that always is reasonable, is understandable. It's something that doesn't make sense. It's nonsense. And unfortunately, at the moment, we're watching people, our brothers and sisters in America, go through the worst time at the moment, being reminded of how they're second-class citizens and the state doesn't care about them. And as black British people, we feel that as well. On, on on the same scale not it's not exactly the same in terms of political structures but racism does exist here as well I don't know where that fallacy has come from so all I can really say to people is make sure you're looking after yourself make sure you're looking after your mental health continue to spread the message and I sincerely hope you take the time to understand how damaging right now is like me I'm going back into therapy on Tuesday um, I got a therapy session I'm looking forward to that because things have been quite heavy but I think shopping is the right word numb is definitely the right word I am feeling numb and emotionless but meditation and everything helps kind of understand that those words emotionless and numb are words that we use to apologize for the rage that we feel and that's really it to be honest and I'm I apologize to I do apologize to some black people who come to this podcast for peace of mind I didn't know if I wanted to come here and really 
talk about my emotions like that because I know some people would click on here this episode to escape it but the one thing this podcast is always going to be is authentic to our emotions and our community and it's always important that we talk about how we feel and I also want to just say if you are feeling any type of way I've used a lot of meditation apps a lot of YouTube videos to kind of get through the bulk of my emotions I would recommend the same if meditation isn't for you there are things you can there are other things you can do there's breathing techniques you can use there's um, digital minimalism um, which I'll discuss on another platform at some point they're stepping away from the voices and trying to distance yourself for a day at least because you deserve peace as well but it's a different type of conversation that we're having in the beginning of the episode I want to bring the energy back because this is you spending your time listening to a podcast. So let's go into the music section and let's talk about some of the music that is bright in our day. So shop it. Yes, so let's get into music. And um, I am pleased to say that I actually have some things to, to share, new and old. So first off, I'll start off with something old. So um, last Sunday, I believe, Babyface went on live to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Waiting to Excel. And as you, many of you know, he wrote and produced the entire soundtrack. It's a classic soundtrack. Every song is amazing. So he went on live for two hours last week, really just telling the stories and the origins behind the individual tracks, the artists he worked with and how it came together. And um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I mentioned last week, I'm really loving what artists, writers and producers are sharing with us during this quarantine time and as an R&B lover, as a Babyface fan, it was great to watch. And it is actually available on his IG, you can still watch it if, um, if you missed it. And I think it's all on YouTube so I definitely recommend it, it was great. Tony Braxton joined in and they discussed their songs together which was really nice. But yeah, no, one of the songs on there, um, which I feel was a very underrated song from that project, it wasn't a single, Way You by uh, Shante Moore. The reason why I want to pick out this song is, one, because I feel like Shanti Moore is someone that when we think about the R&B women of the night, she's like grossly forgotten about. And it's a shame because she, she literally is an insane talent. But also this song in particular is very, very notable because it's a great example of how you can communicate a mood or a vibe or emotion without saying anything. It's a five minute song, but she doesn't really, she's not singing any words. It's literally just her ooing and ahhing and humming and kind of there are kind of like elements of like African and Arabic chants but she's not really saying any words but you just get this vibe of sensuality and this vibe of sexiness and this vibe of romance and I just think that the song is genius for that because I feel like anyone who listens who's heard that song even though that she's not actually saying anything intelligible that is the vibe that has been communicated and I just think that her and Babyface did an amazing job for a song like that and I feel like that needs to be recognised and be um, appreciated more. Um, so yeah, Shantae Moore's um, Way You, that is my first listen of the week. Secondly, I am going to go into Lucky Day. So I only just found out today because I know he dropped a few songs this week but I didn't realise that they were part of a project. So he, he re-released Painted yesterday, I believe, his debut album with five new songs and um, I haven't actually heard all the other songs I know Buying Time is on there which he did a colour session for last year which is a great song 
And um, but he also released a reggae remix of Roll Some More featuring Chronix and Medisan. And there's also a song in there called Shudder, which features Babyface once again. And it actually interpolates uh, T- Tony Braxton's Love Should Have Brought You Home. I just love everything about Lucky Day and what he's doing. I just think that he's just bringing such a consistency and such quality to the R&B scene and I mentioned to the R&B male scene. I just am so, so, so happy that we have an artist like him and that is being received and welcomed so well by R&B lovers at large. Like he's been featuring on so many different projects recently, Kiana Day and Kalani and various other people. Um, I think the trajectory has started last year. He had an amazing 2019. He was set to have a 2020, you know, he was doing a lot of festivals this year. I really just hope that he gets that one song that can really cross him over so yeah, I just want to shout out to those two songs, the Rose Moore remix. And I was a bit skeptical when I heard that. I was like, because I love that song. And I was like, you don't want to remix a song that is already so, you know, so ingrained. But he really flipped that song in the most authentic way. And it just felt so unnatural. And I love the nice reggae vibe of it all. It just felt so real. And that actually led me to finally listening to some of Chronix's own music, which I'm not going to discuss today. But um, I spoke to various Caribbean friends of mine this week and I told them that we're not friends if you don't take me to like um, a reggae and lovers rock brunch of some kind next year. Um, you know, we're allowed outside. Yeah, no, so Chronix, I probably will talk, discuss him next week, but I'm listening to his album because he's someone that, he's been featured on a lot of projects that I love over the last year. But I was like, let me just check out his own music. And I'm in love with him because I actually was thinking like I love a lot of reggae music but it's all the uncle stuff which is natural because I'm an uncle but um I, I was like I need where the new school reggae artists at so that's kind of been my vibe also I'm not going to get into that too much this week and I think I'll leave it there for now so as I spoke about last episode I was reading Natives by Akala I'm still reading it at the moment actually and I was quite interested by a particular passage where he was talking about his first trip to Jamaica and his experience of being British and kind of rejecting Jamaica as this pop, like poor place where um, they didn't have toilets indoors and there's crime and stuff, all that, all that stuff is going on. And in the passage, he actually mentions his sister, Miss Dynamite, and how she seemed to adapt to the culture quite easily. Uh, apparently, she had a Jamaican accent that you couldn't distinguish from the natives actually there. And I decided to actually use that as inspiration to go back to Miss Dynamite's music. So I started with Neversoft, which was towards the end of her um, releasing music frequently. And then I went back to 2002 and listened to the Mercury Award winning album um, A Little Deeper. And I'm just amazed by the talent. I'm just honestly amazed. But the thing that I'm really looking to and listening to is the message, because right now I'm kind of overwhelmed with all of the music that's out there and obviously everything going on at the moment but listening to this album she talks about a lot of social conscious um, movements and reading about their family like Akala and Miss Dynamite's family it makes complete sense although like her mom is Scottish and um, her dad left like white Scottish sorry white German and Scottish she was always sent to a Saturday school, a Pan-African Saturday school, which is something that I went to when I was younger as well. And it's basically a school that teaches you about black history and um, makes sure that you basically stay on top of your studies. It's a community thing. Um, I know some some Greek people go to Greek schools and like some of my Jewish friends go to Jewish schools and places like that. We had our own thing called Pan-African schools. 
And listening to the music, I'm hearing the inspiration from some of the movements she was probably introduced to, like Garveyism, Bob Marley's popularity, and when she visited Jamaica. And I'm just very, very intrigued by her biography now. I'm taking a lot of time to actually read into like the Daily Family. Um, that's Miss Dynamite and Akala's last name. And kind of just like listening to what they do and why they do it. Because I was also looking into Akala as well and his history is quite interesting because they made, I don't know if anyone knows this, but they made a joint project which was half grime, half hip hop and it was Miss Dynamite and Akala. I can't find it anywhere, but there's an interview where they're talking about it. And it features a lot of UK artists as well. And I think in terms of like being revolutionaries, that family in particular are very, very pivotal to the black British music industry. I don't think we give enough credit to Miss Dynamite and what she has done for black British women in the UK industry. I mean, the award she won at the Mercury Awards, she won over, I think it was David Bowie. But yeah, I was listening to this album and I must say, incredible. It's honest, it could be released now. It could be released nowadays, actually. And it features loads of production. It was recorded in London, New York and Jamaica um, for separate parts of the song due to producers. Um, I know that Puff Daddy's or P Diddy, whatever he goes by now, his producer, um, what's he called again? Uh, I can't remember the top of my name. Punch, I think it's called. I'm trying to remember. I think it's Punch. Um, produced one of the songs on here, as well as a few Jamaican producers as well. And it's just interesting how Miss Dynamite used her identity to craft such like beautiful music. So if you haven't heard that album and you want to get into it, listen to it. It's like a mixture of contemporary R&B, some hip hop, um, some garage, and it's just very black British. And I really appreciate the music right now because it's so beautiful. Um, so definitely check that out. Was that your first time listening to the album? It's my first time. Yeah, first time listening to it. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I love the album. I actually have the CD. Oh, really? I, I, I got that when I was like nine years old um, or 10, whatever. Came out a long time ago. Um, you know, I love that album also. I think for me, I was always like a singles person when I was younger. Like I didn't really, I'd always have like CDs. Like I had Blackstreet and like my first CD was like a Neo CD, I think it was, or like a Paramore. I can't remember what it was. But like, I always had like CDs around the house that belonged to my parents, which were fairly older songs like Luther Vandross, Prince, Michael Jackson, um, Celine Dion, all of these people. And like Black British music, I probably had like a Gabrielle CD somewhere. But in terms of Miss Dynamite, it was more channel surfing and coming across her. I don't know if we had that in the house. So actually getting the opportunity and to actually sit down and listen to her music with context, like according to what Carl is saying, which is probably a very true portrayal. It's very, very necessary and it feels very, very authentic what she's talking about you can hear that she's quite a revolutionary mm -hmm. in what she thinks mm -hmm. and um, what she believes so yeah this is kind of a shout out to miss dynamite if you don't know who miss dynamite is because i know we have a lot of listeners in the u.s which is fairly interesting so if you don't know miss dynamite is researcher it's ms dynamite and let us know what you think of it d-a-t-s-p-o-d and that's my only listen for this week nick yeah so Similar to Eden and Chopin, I only have a limited selection of what I've been listening to. Um, I'll give you two. So the first one, I've mentioned her before recently this season. Um, it's Thames she's from Nigeria. She's got a very unique tone to her, um, in my opinion, very like velvety, very smooth. Um, very clear runs, um, pristine, pristine kind of vocals. But she released a new song, which is around three minutes, called These Days. 
very um ambient very kind of minimal sounding um but i just love her voice in it like the voice tends to be the anchor of most of her songs yeah i just it just made me feel really good today um today and midweek when i first heard it as well i was playing it this morning very minimal in terms of its um lyrics as well and what it, what it's speaking about but i think it's kind of just i think it's actually she hasn't done an interview on it or anything, or I haven't seen a press release, but I think I feel like it's called These Days, obviously. And I think the mood of it seems to suggest it was recorded during this quarantine period. And I kind of get the, get the sense that it's just embracing that you're going to have these rough days. You're going to have some of these harder days in terms of emotions, in terms of how you feel, in terms of motivation levels, all of that. But it just really made me sit there and kind of just reflect and... Um, listen to a vast array of what she was kind of talking about but yeah I I appreciated that song as well and then I briefly listened to um Freddie Gibbs's latest project which stands I think 10 songs called um Alfredo and yes you see pasta as the imagery painted on the album cover and it is the incredible the alchemist behind the production on pretty much every cut. The Alchemist has been doing quite a lot right now, which I'm excited about in terms of who he's working with as well. I think he's worked with West Side Gun earlier this year as well. Like he's he's three for three in terms of um, what he's working on right now. And he's worked with Conway the Machine. He did a, another project which was released about two months ago. Yeah, he did the whole production on that with Conway the Machine. So, oh, it's very exciting for New York rap in terms of, what the alchemist is working on but yeah where freddie gibbs is concerned by the way we'll go back to alfredo he is in my opinion i've got a really strong opinion that he will join our generation's best rappers that kind of higher echelon list but i think it's kind of one of those ones where it's late to the party in terms of he'll he's going to be looked at in retrospect as one of the greatest rappers ever the hip-hop community already know we've already had the discussions like the deep hip-hop community we already know Freddie Gibbs' ability. It's just about the mainstream really grappling on. He kind of needs that Kendrick Lamar moment um, to really catapult into that list. But um, everyone who knows, knows basically that he he's brilliant. He's a great wordsmith. Talking about, obviously, our struggles. I'm um, talking about... There's even a song called Scotty Beam where he flips, obviously, um, Scotty Beam, the... Um, if you don't know who she is, where have you been? But she is a media personality in hip-hop um, who's done am- amazing things in her, her career to date. And she went to Hot 97 doing an internship. But yeah, he flips that song. Rick Ross is on there. Obviously, you know about Rick Ross. I've said it before. His cadence is undeniable. His presence on a song is undeniable. As soon as he touches the mic, you just got to listen. Um, his presence is just uncanny. Um, he's, he's one of the best rappers in our generation in terms of presence, just on a song, just just there he's just there and you you have to kind of listen and gravitate towards it benny the butcher one of my fave new artists are on there as well um yeah benny benny's killing new york right now um and obviously tyler the creator's on there too and conway conway the machine is towards the end of the end of the project too so if you're a fan of like the benny the butchers conway the machines that kind of movement that's happening right now i would definitely say you would love this project but generally Freddie Gibbs has been on his shit for the last like couple of years, like good, deep, six, seven, eight years now. Like he's he's incredible. So I would say get into this project if you need a distraction, if you need something to get away from. It was only released yesterday, 
but yeah, The Alchemist, three for three right now for this year. And Freddie Gibbs, you killed it. You killed your last project with Mad Lib and now you're back again. So I am super excited for your long-awaited flowers from the mainstream arena. But yes, as I said, everyone who knows, knows everyone who presses play loves you. So we love this and I can't wait to get into it a bit more this week as well. But on, I think I've listened to it three times, two or three times since it released. Um, I'm enjoying it thus far as well, especially I'll highlight Frank Lucas with Benny the Butcher, as I said, Scotty Beam just a minute ago with Rick Ross. And I'm going to say the last one, I'll say Baby Shit. I love Baby Shit. You're just talking your shit on there. So yeah, all good, all good, all good. Let's move in to the news because we have, we have, some good news to start off so it'll be good so we're into the news a bit more positive to start with thank god um and i think a couple of weeks ago we discussed this about a fortnight ago we discussed this scenario i remember i vaguely remember shoppe talking about it and then i said something on it too um and i believe eden chimed in saying it would be good to see it happen but it didn't happen in quite the order that we thought it could happen in because of obviously what happened last week. Six nine, Justin Bieber, etc., Ariana. But um it happened, justice was served, um, even though it was still validated as a song and an impact, but Megan the Stallion um just cemented basically what has been the most incredible year of Hustler. And I know that BET and we discussed it last year do that pathetic award for Hustler of the Year. But um, Megan has to win this. Megan actually has to win this now. Like, two deaths. She comes back from a label dispute, which is still going on, by the way. Um, releases a project um, in the space of a week of going back and forth with her label. And then she finds a lot of tracks from that project chart on Billboard in the Hot 100. And then we see the winner of these tracks, Savage, just pierce through to top 20. Then we see Beyonce jump on this track and then we see it get to number two. And now we've seen it get to number one as of last Tuesday because it was a Memorial Day on Monday. So the charts did not reveal the data until Tuesday, Um, but it, it did get to number one. It got number one in the country. It still is there until Monday. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing for her. Um, she makes history now. Um, it's her first number one record. Obviously, she previously made history with the likes of Nicki Minaj and Doja Cat and Beyonce herself as being in the top two positions on the Billboard Hot 100 as black women and then as rapturouses as well. So this is incredible. Incredible news for her. Really happy for her. Um, she's had a really hard year. So I hope she's celebrating somewhere social distance wise. Well, she's broken those rules already, but yeah. Um, I'm happy for her. I really am happy for her generally. Um, and I hope this is the first of many more um, successes. It doesn't have to be number ones, but just successes in the music business um, across this decade. And it's great that this week we got some positive news um, in light of everything that's going on. But I want to go to Eden and Shoppe, you guys' thoughts. What do you think on this feat? And what do you think of Megan's career going forward? Naturally, I'm very, I'm very happy for, for Megan and Beyonce, you know, I love the song, I love the remix, I'm happy that it's officially a number one single, very well deserved, but this obviously matters more to Megan, you know, Beyonce, she's had several of her own, so for the fact that Megan is now having her own time in the sun, and especially so early in her career, and especially before her debut album, 
it's just it just speaks volumes and weight to what Nick has been saying for like nearly the better part of two years that this is truly uh, a historic time to be a woman in rap at the moment because I just could not have imagined two three years ago that we would be having multiple um, female rappers dominating at a level like this because they've always been around on the underground and on the fringes or on the margins of the rap world and the music world at large but it's just quite it's quite it's quite amazing to see this happen and in regards to um Megan's trajectory going forward I'd like to say that I am humbled because I'm not gonna lie like when I see the way things are rolled out and I see stupid decisions I see <laughs> nonsense decisions I was kind of like wondering like like, uh, are you really going to have your moment? Because I understand, and I don't think people out there really understand that the public now is so, so fickle that it's there's not as much of a long window to really make a stamp and breakthrough in the mainstream as there was in, like, the 80s and the 90s. Like, in the 80s and 90s, you could have, like, you could be a new artist, have three flop albums and have a breakthrough on a fourth album. That yes. can't happen today. Like, like, it's like the first year, a year and a half, you have to make it count. And I was a bit worried that Megan may be, have, she may be losing her moment because, you know, she didn't release the cash shit video, Diamonds flopped, Bitch didn't do well, I didn't like the song anyway. So it's like, is Megan going to have that moment? Yes, you know, she's, you know, doing all these great viral moments on social media, but is it translating into actually anything tangible? Which is why I say I don't think the money will be doing anything anytime soon. But we're discussing her today. But no, um, she proved me wrong, and I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong. And I just hope that this continues. And I just really hope that, I'm assuming she's working on her debut album right now. And I just really hope that we can continue this trajectory and just continue this, uh, this path of a really building up her profile and hopefully this allows once again this like just the way nikki broke through the way carly broke through the way megan is now breaking through hopefully this now can lead to a proliferation of other rap talent female rap talent that can have mainstream success like this so i'm very very happy and also as part of the beehive yes i'm happy my girl seven number one single is done no yes you know she's next 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 to my other girl mariah the only two women to have um, number ones in four separate decades Hey, what can we say? But it's not about her. It's about Megan. <laughs> <laughs> and even like, I'm sure you, you've all seen that video, that video footage. She sent her flowers to Megan's door and she said, you're number one. Even though it's theirs, she said yours. Because she knows this bigger than her at this point. Because she was like, really and truly, she sat back and she was like, you, you can push this one. You can, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I gave you the feature. Do what you need to do. Um, I don't really have a lot to say on this. I'm going to just say congratulations to Megan The Stallion. This is amazing for her career. And I just hope she continues to excel. Yeah, that's all I can really say. Coolio, I will swiftly move into the next topic, which again is actually really incredible. Really incredible. We'll get into the discussion. Ashope knows that I've been watching this for a while, like in terms of what's happening in this region. Um, it's, a, it's a huge moment. And I, to be honest, for this label to do this, because this head label is dead in the water in terms of hip hop and what it's doing, but in terms of it moving to this region, I'm, I'm very excited and it may revive some spirit into the label, which was once so prolific. But I'll get into the title now. 
Def Jam Africa launches with Nigerian and South African roster. So they have launched on the continent officially as of May 26th. This was announced in, on Music Week. It was announced on Pitchfork. It was announced everywhere. So Universal Music Group, they are the housing label. But in terms of Def Jam, the actual imprint, they have now gone to Africa. They have said that they are a pan-African label. Um, and they are following the blueprint of Def Jam recordings, according to their press release. A clutch of Nigerian and South African artists are announced as the first signees on this label. Now, Nasty C actually was announced. Um, Nasty C is a South African trap um, artist, hip-hop artist, doing quite well in terms of building profile. He is touted as the next one up. Um, I've known about him for a while. But in terms of Def Jam, they actually announced his signing early. They announced this last month. So I just thought this was the general US label. It got released via Billboard, you know, the whole Billboard rollout when someone gets signed and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, he signed to Def Jam. Is this going to be a US pivot? What's going to happen? All of this. They're going to try and cross over um, some of their newer artists. Then obviously this came and I was like, oh, this is a bigger movement than just Nasty C in the American market. It's actually a source on the continent like something is happening on the continent so yes uh, as i said narcissi is a part of this the likes of larry gaga boti um vector ricky tyler so many have got announced there's about 10 or 12 um on this first iteration of the label um yeah it's just the statement says many of us in africa grew up on music from legendary labels under the umg umbrella from blue notes uh, for jazz fans to mercury records to uptown records the home of jodeci and mary j blige and many more for those into hip-hop low label has such a cultural and historic relevance as def jam from run dfnc to ll cool day j sorry i'm disturbing the piece jay-z uh, Big Sean and Kanye West in more recent times, Def Jam has always been the ultimate destination for hip-hop and urban culture worldwide. It is a historic achievement that we're now able to bring this iconic label to Africa to create an authentic and trusted home for those who aspire to be the best in hip-hops, Afrobeats and trap. Together, we will build a, commu a new community of artists that will push the boundaries of hip-hop in Africa to reach new audiences globally. Um, the picture of the artwork for the African division is um, a purple with blue tinges um, and it just has the Def Jam printing on it with um, an iconic kind of statue figurine as its icon. So this is incredible news. I want to get you guys' thoughts on this, but there is a bigger movement on the continent right now, um, which I'll get to in a bit. But I just want to get you guys' first impressions on this pivot to the continent as our honorary nigerian shopper do you want to go first okay <laughs> <laughs> he knew he was first um i am very 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 happy about all of this there's so many uh directions i can go with this but i think i just want to start off by saying that i just love that there are multiple platforms and multiple individuals who are aggressively spearheading the cultural currency of african artists and understanding that this isn't just a phase, this just isn't a time in in music, it's not a fad that African artists are no longer being othered. They can have the same legitimacy and given the same push yeah. as Western artists, as uh, non-African and non-Caribbean black artists, so basically African-American artists, black British artists. Yeah. I, I love this renewed interest that we're having in like musical and cultural exports from 
the African continent, but also the wider diaspora. Because I mentioned Jules um, a few weeks ago that I just love that we're starting to see artists who are diversifying mm-hmm. uh, the the sound of Africa on a wider level. Because we know it's there, but in terms of what's actually being pushed out and what's being serviced out, we're starting to see a diversity in sound, a diversity in artists, diversity in the way they look. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just loving that that we are now having. Um, all this come about and I love the fact that this is Def Jam because obviously as Nick mentioned it's historically hip hop label and I feel that many African artists now who are starting to blow up and rightly so you know they they do fall under the Afro beats category which is you know they still need they still have some ways to go before they uh, truly cross over in the same way that I would like to say that you know the way Caribbean artists like Beanie Man or Elephant Man and Sean Paul, like we don't, we haven't had that yet. We obviously we have a lot of massive artists for sure, yeah, but yeah. I'm really waiting for the time where we can have like an African artist who is like regularly topping Billboard, regularly topping the UK singles chart, not just having a top forty hit or featuring on a Stormzy song. <laughs> I'm waiting for that, and I think it's truly gonna <laughs> come. I actually wasn't <laughs> being shady. I just no, no, no. I know, I know. I was just like, woo, like we've got a way to go still, you know. But yeah, so like, and I love the fact that this stiff from Africa because as I mentioned um, you know a lot of artists do Afrobeats but now we can actually have like South African Nigerian rappers like you know yes there's Nigerian hip hop there's African trap you know yeah. it's not just all hip life and high life and Guam and uh, these other you know indigenous sounds which also need to be obviously brought to a wider audience and I'm all support of that but I want to show that we can have African pop artists we have African R&B artists and so on and so forth. So I think this is an excellent step in the right direction. And in regards to the actual one of the artists, that um, one of the guys on there is called Vector the Viper. And yes, he's actually yes, a dope yes, rapper. Yes. Uh, me and my brother are a big fan of his. Like, he's a really great rapper. I've never actually spoken about him before, but he's um one of my favourites. He actually released an EP earlier this year called Crossroads, which I highly recommend to everyone who's listening. Great production. Um, and it kind of runs the gamut of, like, different hip-hop subgenres. So that's me. That's my... Nigerian perspective, Yoruba forever, Bekuta State. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> I'm dead. I'm dead. Um, he laid it all on the table. He was like, you're going to fuck with Nigeria today. You're going to fuck with Yoruba today. That's the equivalent of Shopper yelling Suwu. Like. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for me, I'm excited because it diversifies the options that we get to listen to. I feel like for me with the music industry, I was just stuck with listening to a lot of littles for the longest time and I was getting a bit frustrated because it was all starting to sound the same. So now that we're seeing a huge label, um, quite a revolutionary album, uh, uh, sorry, label like Def Jam reach out into Africa and search for its talents, its many talents, I find that incredible. And I think we're going to see some really, really like huge shifts in the music industry when it comes to the sound, when it comes to who's at the top and how some issues around the world are spoken about because I feel like we've always gotten the perspective of people who hold like Africa to a certain helm but to actually get authentic sounds and authentic experiences from people who currently live there are like the millennial generation will be fairly interesting so I'm really intrigued to hear what comes out of there I hope they don't try to put an American swing on the authentic African and like Nigerian or like West African or whatever part of Africa they're actually from because I know they have different inspirations and different instruments that they use for their music yeah but I'm very very excited very very excited Um, and I have listened to Nasty C before but I can't remember what song it was like his name sounds very familiar yeah so yeah I'm very excited hope this does really well and I'm intrigued 
That's all I can say. Um, so I'll just take the bat from Eden then. I feel like this is incredible just in terms of what's happening on the ground because this comes weeks after Apple Music has launched Africa Now. They had a special show which Ebro fronted, um, but they've moved into better, well, questionably better territory. Tomorrow they launched the Africa Now show, which has Kapi at the helm. If people don't know, she is a Nigerian DJ. She's cross, she's cross-continental in terms of that she exists in Europe. She lives in London, but she's from Nigeria as well. Her father is a billionaire, but we will see what she does with that platform. And hopefully there's more African shows as a part of Beats One, as a part of Apple Music. Um, Africa Now means that it expands to more than just Nigeria and other regions it existed in. I think it expands to a holistic amount of regions. Um, Native actually did a piece on it called Native Business Special, Apple Music are betting first on Africa and uh, that may be the key to victory. Um, obviously, there's still a way to go because subscriptions out there are completely different to over here and like class issues and access to subscriptions and all that kind of stuff is a problem but they're tackling that and they're trying to become better accustomed to that climate and learning they're spending their time learning in the sub-saharan african and wider african market as well um they launch in i think 33 countries now in the on the continent um, including Tanzania, Benin and Mozambique. So it's really incredible. Like the news comes in quick succession. Obviously, we've had the likes of Audio Mac support local talent on the ground when the likes of Native Land um, was existing in, in December. So a lot is happening in Nigeria right now. And I think it's a crazy pivot, a crazy transition into focusing on the market. And as Shope said, that includes so many different genres from just like traditional Afrobeat to Afrobeat to Alte to Trap to hip hop to more uh, traditional genres as well. I just think that it's time and I think even more labels need to start creating imprints on the continent to support those other genres that aren't necessarily going to be reflected in this new Def Jam Africa initiative. I'm super excited to see what happens on the continent but I really 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 just want it to be a local thing in terms of having that cultural touch on the ground, trusting locals um, on the ground who are actually there. I want to see the likes of Oxlade win. I want to see, obviously, Remus trajectory. He is set to be one of the biggest exports um, from the region this decade. It's just, it's huge. It, it's it's incredible. It's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when the breakthrough happens. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm incredibly excited. You know, the grounds that, you know, Davido... Afro B, Santi, Santi Burner Boy, because Burner Boy's been here for ages. Just all of these incredible talents. Tiwa Savage, like all they've been able to pave because really Tiwa Savage was a risk to Rock Nation, obviously, and just getting signed and going over to the American market. And arguably we're still trying to get traction off of that and, and see her international breakthrough. But all of these incremental steps, all of the partnerships, all of the experiments, all of the taking of risks, all of the biting the bullets, all of these kind of movements from every artist I just mentioned and even more are a testament to the fact that this is the time now. This is the real pivot. And I hope that all of those artists that build those foundations um, and all of those businessmen and businesswomen that build those foundations just continue to support and 
keep rocking with the ship because it won't happen overnight. And we still obviously have a way to go with this. And it's still it's still a work in progress and it always will be. Until those international categories are shattered, it will always be a movement. It will always be a tough kind of uphill battle. But I'm happy for the businesses taking, putting their money where their mouth is because it's all great putting these people as the faces of your playlist. But are you really investing in those regions and investing in those regions is what's going to help. So shout out to Def Jam for taking the risk. Um, shouting to Apple Music for taking a risk and taking a chance. Um, and I'd just love to see some of these artists really cross over in a way that even dancehall artists haven't able to achieve just yet because Chopin highlighted that, you know, they have um, an African artist hasn't necessarily reached some of the status or some of the accolades that a Sean Paul, for example, has reached and stuff. But I'd still argue that even for di- the di- the wider diaspora, whether it's a Latin, um, Afro an Afro Latina, whether it's someone in Africa, whether it's someone in the Caribbean region, I'd say that all of us have a way to go. If you're not American, whether it's a Brit, a Black Brit, we ha- we have a way to go into true international stardom, um, and reaching those heights as well. So it's it's interesting. It's truly truly interesting, and I just hope that. They continue to support this in all climates, whether it's raining, whether it's sunny in the offices, whether the money's dry, whether the money's thriving. I want this to be something that they really weather the, weather the storm with because they do that with trap. They do that with conventional hip hop. They do that with pop. They do that with country. So, yeah, I'm really excited for this. Um, but I've, I'm just a bit intrigued. Is this actually a risk? Do you honestly think this is a risk? Because no, do you know what Eden? Even as I said, risk. I was like, is that even the right terminology? Because it's just markets here. Like, why am I saying it's a risk? They, they all are. They all should then be a risk. Whether you're in America or whether you're, they should all be a risk. If I'm saying risk for Africa, that kind of paints a narrative as if it kind of it can, um, creates hierarchy. That that was the wrong terminology, in my opinion. So I understand. I understood what you meant. It's a new market, and these are people that are not vetted in terms of like. Then they haven't really blown up yet, and Def Jam are like going straight into the deep end and like bringing so many people in I, th- I think that's what you meant yeah that was the sense I was putting it in it's a, yeah it's, it's a new business venture essentially but the thing I want to challenge is like I'm a bit intrigued about why these companies are suddenly interested in Africa because I'm just I'm just very skeptical maybe that's because of what's going on in the world currently but I am very confused about the sudden interest a lot of brands have much more obviously in the culture and what I mean by that is when when I look at the versus battles for example and some of the things that are going on I don't understand why I'm seeing companies in the comments like Pretty Little Thing and (laughs) all of these other companies that usually ignore blackness or like highlight the lightest skin person they can find so when Apple and Def Jam I know Def Jam has a history of hip-hop and kind of um, bringing up black artists and stuff but I am still skeptical about the intention like I understand there is there's great talent in these countries in Africa there's amazing talent like you said Burner Boy the Alte movement Davido like some like uh, Tiwa Savage all of these people are incredibly talented people but I, I don't know maybe I'm just being a bit skeptical about the world at the moment but I just hope they are doing right by these artists mm. and they are pushed and they are given the option to be creatively free because yeah. we have seen a lot of artists suffer from contracts yeah. and 
issues that are going on behind the scenes and I hope they're not trying to take advantage of people's natural talents. Um, but yeah, maybe that's just me being sceptical, but no. I have a lot of questions. No, 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 I agree. I agree because the same thing is happening with Drill right now. The amount of New York artists getting signed to major labels is astronomical. Since Pop Smoke is astronomical, like literally it is the Drill Spring right now. Like there's artists week after week who I didn't even realise were signed getting um, releases from EPs. It's like literally every single Friday has been a drill artist from New York releasing a project. And I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Like, the, okay, the labels really were signing now. Interscope, Universal, all of that. Okay, I'm like, okay, cool. So the same thing is happening. I think you're right to question the intentions. You're right. It's, it's clearly because it's a hot topic. It's clearly because of Burner, things like Burner Boy's Grammy nominations. It's clearly things like... Burner Boy's even visibility over the last year, WizKids, Drake, all of those movements, Tiwa signing to Rock Nation all those years ago, all that building, the momentum and all of that. That Lion King album Beyonce did. Yeah, the Beyonce Lion King album, that definitely got people thinking, oh, Africa hot, hot now, Beyonce wants to go on it. So I, I completely agree with you that it, in some cases, might, it is, it is disingenuous, but I hope that's why combating that i hope that the lo they hire the local people who have a vested interest in this and a interest that supersedes this kind of new interest um in the market to do right by these artists and to oversee everything on an operational level yeah. that's the only way that i can think of to combat such a potentially disingenuous decision yeah because having the local talent to then take the will yeah because um similar to well it reminds me specifically of when um hip-hop became the number one genre in the world and then suddenly you started to see a conveyor belt of like littles coming out of nowhere like all of these rappers with like dreads and like um neon green hair all like rapping this like in similar ways and coming from literally nowhere um unfortunately the american business model is basically supply chain and just building basically creating a formula and just replicating it as many times as they can before it runs out and people are bored of it and i hope that they don't destroy the creativity that a lot of these independent um african artists have and i hope people are being accountable and some of those proceeds and the success that these american companies are seeing go towards those individual african countries and i would need to see some proof of that before i get too excited although this is great news and it's amazing and i'm entirely happy for um like my african brothers and sisters to succeed yeah there is a part of me that's like we need to be very careful here we need to make sure that this isn't similar to um, how these companies will go into Africa and take the resources that make the country great yeah. and then come back and be like, we did this, so therefore this is ours. I don't want that to happen. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like who owns Africa? We need to really make sure that it's still the people on the ground and the the, the um, deals are as fair as possible. I still know there's a business, there's a music business to still uphold and money to be made. But let's hope that these deals are as fair as a little now or a Jay-Z or someone else would get, you know, as of now. So I just hope the people on the floor are fighting for that um, before this kind of even was a, a thing, a partnership, while before this was even announced. So I hope those kind of intricacies, as you say, were leveraged and sorted out. But yeah, no, I definitely agree with your sentiments, Eden. I just want to um, end this topic with a quote from Tua Savage because she, Davido and Mr. Easy were on the cover of Billboard 
last week. Yes. And I read the interview a few days ago and there was this comment that really stuck out to me and it kind of leads back to my point about what I said about my my vision to really have truly global breakout African stars. Yeah. So it's quite long, but I feel like it needs to be said. Say it. So she said, I think labels still don't quite understand how to sell Afrobeats. They haven't really put their machinery behind the genre yet. A lot of times when we drop a record, it's put on playlists like Spotify's African Heat. We already come with huge followings. I look forward to when we'll be on the same playlist as a Billie Eilish or Justin Bieber. Give us that kind of global campaign. Treat African music like a pop record, not a tastemaker record or something that cool urban kids in the diaspora listen to. That's the vision I want for Afrobeats. Yep, and she's absolutely right. I'd agree. She's absolutely right. I'd agree. But I think that's also due to the fact that... I don't know about the understanding of what Afrobeats is to a lot of people like I think a lot of people don't actually know what it is in America no um the example I can give to that is when Drogba when Drogba first came out um by Afro B a lot of people were referring to it as bashment like I saw a lot of people talking about and this was mainly on Twitter so maybe it's not the greatest survey for information but I can only go off what I've anecdotally seen but a lot of people were referring to it as like bashment and some people like oh is this from Jamaica is this from the Caribbean and I'll be I'll be looking at the comments like what like it's very obviously Afrobeats, but Ebro doesn't know what Afrobeats is either. Oh yeah, he gets his terms confused. <laughs> well, no, unfortunately, that's a common theme with loads of the black media in on American radio sh- shows. I mean, even DJ Envy, he was talking to I can't remember off the top of my head, but he he was talking about some parts of Africa, and he was saying I've been to oh, South Africa, and then he would name somewhere in South Africa and say I went to this country as well, and it's just like you went you were in the same country. <laughs> you you just went to a different part of it. It's like going to New York in America. I don't understand. And I, I think that's the issue. I think there's a miseducation of the different countries within Africa mm. and the different places that exist within that and then the different cultures that exist. Because I think a lot of people think that um, Africa is one like... They treat it as a country. Yeah, there are some people that think Africa is well, a country. Well, it's not that it's not... Yeah, they think Africa is like one type of like feel. There's yep. one type of look to Africa. Like yep. everyone shares the exact same culture. Everyone yep. is exact. It's exactly the same food. Yep. All of the music sounds the same. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, when what happens is for like white consumers and even black, I want. Unfortunately, I have to say like the diaspora that don't directly come from Africa but are born in like America and the UK a lot of the reading hasn't gone into where these artists actually come from. And it's just categorized as African heat, for example, because they don't know the different things to look out for. Yeah. Um, they don't know about Zanku. They don't know about Afro swing. They don't yeah. know about Afro beat. They don't know about Afro beats. They don't know about all of the variations that come from inspirations all over the country. And I think that's why that's happened. But she's right to say that should happen. You should force people to understand what the genre is. But I think this goes back to what Nick was saying about risk. I think the risk is with Africa, and because it's such a big continent, a lot of the transition into the sound requires a lot of education for a lot of ignorant listeners. And that is the main risk. Yeah. Because a lot of people are going to listen to some sounds and just label it one thing. Yeah. And with that comes a lot of complications because then a lot of people are going to be snubbed for the inspirations they have on certain sounds. Yeah. So, yeah. Even we need to get ourselves together with definitions. And this is why I was very insistent on the fact that we need to define what's going on right now in the UK with Afro Swing. 
with Afro bashment, with Afro this, with Afro that. We really need to get clear because when we look back on this era, we are not going to know what these definitions mean. We are not going to know the origins. We are not going to know the trajectory or tracing of it. And I think all these terms get dubbed and thrown around really quickly. And I'm like, wait, where did that come from? Who coined that? Why did they coin that? Was it in an interview? And even some of these artists as well, like even Afro B, for example, while I love him and he's done great, like they'll just throw different coins, um, coinments of the statements into, into phraseology and then suddenly a genre which is or a subgenre which is exactly the same as like say afro swing is called something else and then we lose all the pickpockets of what's going on and i think just as much as some americans are ignorant i think we have an ignorance in terms of not us because i think we do our homework all of us but in terms of some people who just take different songs or popular songs and say oh that's exactly the same as Ozodo, that's exactly the same as this that's exactly the same as that and i think this is why we need to just follow the people who are spearheading this trajectory of African music of all different pockets quite well. I'd implore you lot to read from Native in particular. They do a great, they have a great team yep. on the ground, actually, there. I would say, okay, Africa. I would say True Laurels, Lawrence. I would say EVA Annie, always, because she is the one who created that conversation in terms of Afrobeat being different from Afrobeats and went into that. Um, I think you need to follow all of these people who are telling the stories. Culture Custodian, Natal Magazine. Natal, exactly. Natal, amazing publications who trace actual... June Afrique. There's so many. Uh, yeah, exactly. Who Even Afropunk sometimes. But I think it's just super important to really listen to the people who have been here for years documenting this new touchy feely kind of thing that you're experimenting with in your room because I think we're going to lose it if not and I think that's why documentation is so important and that's why what Eden said about the artists losing their way will happen if we don't do the homework. I've always wanted to know what do people define as Afro Swing? What are the components that define it? Can we have a universal understanding like we do of hip hop of what is happening here? Because we are going to lose our way, literally. What is the difference between Afro beats and Afro pop? Someone answer me now. Someone give me a proper definition because I think we're just throwing the coins, throwing the terms and New York Times will dash a little phrase out and then suddenly it's a thing and people are like, wait, what actually happened here? So yeah, I think it's just truly important, like we would do with European music, like we would do with um, hip hop, like we would do with pop. We need to go back and really understand what happened when and what informed what. Or the likes of a Def Jam Africa will be in vain because they won't understand. And Apple Beats now will be in vain because or Africa now will be in vain because of what happened so last point on the news junket for this week reflects what we kind of spoke about earlier in a way so we spoke last week about Doja Cat who had quite the um thread or threads created about her last week in relation to her involvement in a highly rumoured alt-right chat on Tiny Chat, um, where there's a clip uh, of her using the N-word in the alleged chat. And there was scepticism over um, a didn't do nothing song, 
which didn't do is considered by some to be offensive to black people because it suggests or links back to when black people talk to cops or um, courts of law and argue that they didn't do anything before either getting shot or facing incarceration. So that is a bit of background. That happened. And other claims such as Doja Cat hating herself because of her her hair. Her, there's a video about her 4C hair, which she has, um, in its natural form and her going on a rant about it, which um, was thrown into the equation as well. So she decided to release a statement which was poorly received, but she ratified this statement a day later on, I believe this was a Sunday. And she spent half an hour on Instagram Live imploring fans, whoever, to record it for her, which they did. And she addressed the accusations that had been made against her. She wrote a bullet point list to address over the 30 minutes. Um, this included actually as well dating a white boyfriend, um, in the past, who was rumoured to be a rape apologist. Um, so she kicked off her live stream by saying that she edited the piece with editors, that it, the initial type-up notes apology was forged by... Not forged, was created and crafted, sorry, by a PR team herself, her label, and interest of all of them to protect her public brand. She then played snippets of a recorded apology, which was to follow up, um, specifying that she recorded 98 different apologies. And then she went on to address the claims. So when it pertains to Tiny Chat and the racist chat rooms, she specified that the chats were open and public that she was in and that now, as of now, you they you you pay £30 or $30, sorry, equivalent to enter these chat rooms. She said that she used to moderate, which I've actually heard her speak about before. She used to moderate some of these chat rooms um, and she was a moderator for a period of time. Now, if you don't know what a moderator is, that exists on YouTube, that exists on um, on multiple sites, which involve and communities of people. And they are, um, they are sourced out or what you can volunteer to be one to kind of eradicate and remove people who uh, basically involve themselves with the isms of harassment, racism, all that kind of stuff. Anything that's kind of uh, sensitive to the group or insulting to the group um, against the person. So she's been one of those moderators and she's specified that again. She also specified that racism would happen sometimes in these chats because it just happened, it was the norm on Tiny Chat, and she says specified it's the norm on the internet, on other social media sites, she will find racist as well. So she said that she was blackout drunk when she used the N word on these platforms. And you can kind of, and she said she even specified that she was a bit lit now, as in when she was recording the apology. She also said that she's not into race play, which was some of the accusations against her and she pointed out a video from Abba and Pre Preach on YouTube who made the claim um, that she was into race play and that the clips that leaked from Tiny Chat suggested that. She also went on to address the Didn't Do Nothing track um, and she said that while it was poor choice it was never intended to be offensive in the way that was intended it was in terms of towards black people who face 
oppression and police brutality and stuff. Um, she said, the term that I used in the song is one that I learned that day. People were calling me it left and right. I used it in a song and it was kind of to take, um, take it back and say fuck you to those people. So to essentially to reclaim it. But the song in zero ways is connected to police brutality or Sandra Bland. She summarised. Um, she said that she's not racist towards Arab people, which has been suggested to her as well, or Arabic culture. She wasn't coming to be um, coming for Beyonce. And she says the singer is one of the driving forces of who she is in her career um, in terms of influence. Um, she said that she was never going to show her boobs, which I think anyone with an ounce of common sense knows that she wasn't. She's got troll and you know no eyes really does that well no mainstream artist as of now really does that but yeah I'm trying to see if there's any other things that she addressed um she said if you're a true fan of me if you're young my behavior isn't something that always needs to be followed i'm not perfect i should not be doing this dumb shit but also i need to stand up for myself instead of making a video that's diplomatically and politically correct it's just not who i am as a person and I don't want to bullshit you guys because I know what makes me happy is that you guys are happy and you know what the fuck is real. So that is basically the main chunks of the video, what needed to be addressed um, from last week. What do you guys think of this news topic? If anything. Uh, uh, if I'm being completely honest, I don't actually care. I don't actually care about all of this right now. Doja Cat is just another example of someone who is going through understanding her identity. And I think that she needs to do a lot of work. And this is all, all this is is a press statement to kind of make people forget the severity of what she did. And I do believe in forgiveness. I don't believe in cancel culture. I do believe in people making active steps towards understanding why their actions were hurtful to begin with i was giving more thought to the dindu song because i actually think i jumped on a bandwagon with my reaction to that me personally with a lot of the things that i understand when it comes to blackness one of the things i don't like personally is using the n-word mm. it's just something i'm not comfortable with i don't like it at all but the argument for why we should use it is we're reclaiming it from its original intention which was racism um, although there's arguments about negus and where that came from and stuff like that in Africa originally. But my thing is, what is the difference? What is the difference between if Doja Cat is saying she used this to reclaim the Dindu claim? What is the difference between that and reclaiming the N-word? Yeah. That's just my understanding of it. I was reading the lyrics again recently and I was just like, it seems like she's making fun of a word that is actually quite offensive. Yeah. As a black woman, I don't, see the issue with her using this word in particular i understand in context of what's happened that there's obviously a connection but my thing is i see it as a bit of a hypocritical thing to then ignore how certain words have been reclaimed in history and i, I don't that's not me defending doja cat that's not me saying what she said was correct but i do think we need to focus on the problem areas in particular so it's the fact she was in the tiny chat, the fact that she has said anti-black things about her hair and her identity before. And the aim of the conversation, in my opinion, should be helping her reach her understanding of her anti-blackness and 
the damage she is doing to herself and her community. And I don't think she embraces it as her community. One thing we spoke about recently on the timeline with a few other people on that's account was Leanne Le Havas. And it hurts me to talk about Leanne Le Havas's personality because musically she's incredible, incredible person when it comes to her inspirations for her sounds and who has mentored her, um, Prince and... Um, some of the music she's released is incredible but when it comes to her relation to her race there is a massive issue and it's exactly the same thing for Doja Cat and it's most of the same thing for most of these light-skinned singers they kind of have to get rid of their blackness in order to still represent blackness like obviously when people see them they see someone who isn't white but they need to actually reject it in some way and I'm really tired of celebrities doing that I just think it's very disingenuous and when they're caught out loads of people are like oh just release an apology and it'll be fine work needs to be done I saw her post a link to George Floyd's GoFundMe I think it was or change.org yeah I think actually both of them she posted and those are the active steps that I'm looking for I know a lot of people aren't really respecting that right now and I get why because mm. it seems like it's very forced. It seems like it's just a get out free card. But we need to encourage behavior like that. We need to we need to understand that we're in a system that has taught us to hate ourselves for so long. Yeah. And unfortunately, Doja Cat is in a situation where she hates herself. And I feel very sorry for her. I feel very, very sorry for her. That's not me excusing what she's done. No. But I feel very, very sorry for the pain she's obviously feeling and how uncomfortable she is in her, in her own skin, that she feels like the only safe place is in right-wing conversations and chats. That's very sad to hear. So with regards to this apology, I don't care for it, but that doesn't mean I don't expect improvement. There is a There's a wide variety of things she could do. She could be more vocal about black issues. She could continue the support of black women. I have seen her do that. I must say. Yeah, you highlighted it last week with Brie Runway. Like, and that's been consistent. There's been like two or three times that she's actually done it with Brie um, on Instagram and Twitter. And it was before what happened as well, which it is was, important to was. highlight. So yeah. there's a lot of work that she needs to do. I don't care about the fact she has a white boyfriend. I don't care. Um, <laughs> truly. That truly. doesn't matter to me. Her past and her white boyfriend, if he's a rape apologist, then obviously that's an issue. But right now, me having an issue with Doja Cat has nothing to do with her having a white boyfriend. It's purely to do with the fact that I'm tired of the main black celebrities in popular culture seeming to have these moments where they hate us and they interact with the sides that hate us as well. Please do better. That's all i got to say. In terms of the um, alt-right chat thing, I really still need to see some concrete proof because I was actually watching a couple of videos this week and I think that with cancel culture and with what's going on on the internet specifically twitter i think there's quite a um, sinister kind of agenda that goes on and i think that this happened with doja cat in response to her not showing her boobs after number one there's a quite orchestrated quite quite latch on kind of approach in terms of people placing truth or elements of truth juxtaposed with hearsay and then that builds a bit of a narrative right and then because there's a little bit of a clip or a little bit of another thing people suddenly and I've, I've been a I've been a person that's done it too that latches on to the full thing and it's like actually 
Is that the full truth? Yes, she said niggas to a chat full of white people. Yes, that needs to be held to account. Yes, there are some very incriminating forms of data. And I'm not saying that I'm believing that she didn't do some of these things. But what I am saying is that I think the way that cancel culture operates and the way that people online operate, whether they're stands for or whether stands against or whether just wanting to like gossip page culture um is that they operate in this very targeted very intentional um very gaslighting uh manner to kind of cancel said artist and believe you me the likes of sabrina claudia are cancelled so i'm not advocating for people to be oh like we believe we um just believe them, the side of the artist, I'm for the artist and all that kind of stuff. But what I am saying is that these people who are cancelling know exactly what they're doing and sometimes they ostracise the issue rather than just get to the truth. And with cancel culture, part of my thing is what is the end result? What do people want here? Do you want the person to just be crying in the corner for the rest of their life? And I'm talking about black people who are cancelled here. White people, you know, you are the devil, so it's fine. Well, but in terms of <laughs> black people, in terms of black people that are cancelled... Nation of Islam energy. Love to see it. <laughs> listen, some, George Floyd? Listen, well, it's that time. Anyway, in terms of black people who are cancelled, like Doja Cat or whatever, what do we want here? Do we want them to grow? Do we want them to donate? Do we want them to love black women? Do we want them to love black men? Or do we want them to sit there raged in a corner and that's it? Like, is that is because that's what I feel like some people who start these conversations want, you know? So with me, that's that on cancel culture. I just think it's very dangerous in how it operates. Not that it shouldn't happen, but I think some of the people creating that that whole invasion of privacy almost going into stuff and all of that are doing it they're not doing it for the best intentions even though we need to see the full truth of an artist you know but in terms of doja this apology i'm kind of like on the fence with it same yeah i just feel like like she gave me full clarity in terms of like 98 apology like there's bits of it that i'm like yeah i'm happy you admitted that there was a pr response we know we knew that but I'm glad she admitted to it. There were elements of truthful vibes. <laughs> I hate that word, but vibes that were there. But in terms of like, account, this is it, accountability for me. I don't feel like she stood in the full face of accountability in terms of the ramifications of her actions and what they did. Now, some of the intentions might not have been there that the threads that were created about her said that was there. But in terms of the actual actions and impact that they had, I feel like she kind of shied away from. Um, and that's the issue with me. When I first saw the 30 minutes, I was like, oh, okay, like, I'm going to give this... A and I did. One morning, I gave it a chance. I, you know, I watched the majority of it or jumped to the bits that I needed to jump to. But I just think there was a whole nonchalant energy in parts mm -hmm. of it that I was like... Mm -hmm. Doja, like, I know you're a troll. This is the most serious I've seen Doja Cat, by the way. It is, like, genuinely, it's the most serious, like, to say that. Um, so there was a shift in energy, but there was still this slight element of nonchalant, you know, forgive me, and that's it, kind of energy. Like, it, this, this is it. That's that on that. And I said what I said, kind of energy. Um, and I just needed her to just bask in the beautiful light that is accountability. And 
even if some of the stuff wasn't true and she ratified that, um, that would have made me feel a little bit more at ease. But at the end of the day, like Eden started this thing off with, there's bigger fish to fry. People are dying. People are burning things right now. I don't really care if people cancel her or not, which they probably won't, you know, as I said last week. So bigger fish to fry. I just want her to love herself. But if she doesn't, that's great. You know, I've got my life to live. If she does, that's beautiful. That's amazing. But um, don't inflict harm on black people. That's where I'm at. Just leave it alone now. Stop. And that's that. Don't let your thoughts impact us. Period. That's it. And just to say, just just to say, because I think we're all on a similar page here, that doesn't mean we don't care about um, the actions. That doesn't mean we don't think they're wrong. Yeah. It's more so just that we're hoping in the future... Like, obviously, I don't take this personally with her because it's not my duty to inform her on her identity. But we at least hope she would make the effort to learn more about herself and understand why she's been made to feel ugly about her black 4C hair or, like, um, embracing some of her black identity. Yeah. But that is completely up to her. As I said in a previous episode, I don't really listen to Doja Cat's music like that anyway. So it won't affect me directly, but there are loads of people who love their music. You need to make the decision now if you love your blackness more than you love the feeling that a Doja Cat song gives you. And if you're willing to accept the fact that she's someone who doesn't love her blackness, but is still putting out the music that you're listening to. And that's where it has to come to, unfortunately. That's how we have to make decisions now. So I don't really know what to say. And I actually had to rewatch her live this morning because I kind of felt the first time I watched, I was like, I don't know what to take away from this. (laughs) And I I don't really like discussing things like race and identity and things I feel like I'm a much better writer when it comes to these things and also I don't feel like I have the range to discuss these things oh shoppe shut up you've done the reading first off like to say that Doja Cat will be fine not only just because of we know how cancer culture works but I think with the IG live she did a very good job of casting a massive shadow of doubt over the claims about her being a self-hating racist or white supremacist and and incel and all these other things. Like Nick said, Mm. there definitely was a a sense of nonchalance and a a sense that she doesn't really truly understand the gravity of her alleged actions. But it was earnest enough and genuine enough for even me to be like, you know what, I do think she understands somewhat. I do think she gets it a little bit. Mm. And I think ultimately what I've come away after watching it again is what Eden has said. I know there's been a lot of speculation about, oh, she was raised by her white family, she doesn't know her black dad, all this, this and that, whatever. I do think it's, I think there is some weight in the idea that I don't think she's ever really had to really reckon with and intellectualise her biracialness, her half-blackness. I mean, I don't, I think she understands it on the surface and I, I do believe she probably has some black friends she obviously loves black music or whatnot but I don't think she in terms of the you know the history and the etymology of what her phenotype brings and has meant to other people who look like her and blah 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 I think she is for the first time really actually dealing with that and actually you know what oh because we're going back to the anti-black about her hair thing that pushed it out to me because I think her point she was trying to make, and she said it, she said she was just trying to articulate the fact that she thinks it's difficult to deal with with her hair, which is fine. She's allowed to say that. But I think, I don't know what she said in the original video. I don't know. 
But I'm guessing she probably said something that could be interpreted as anti-black, and it could. I can tell that she didn't. She didn't think it was that initially. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to defend her or anything like that. But I think because I think now that she's crossing over and breaking through, I think she's really for the first time having to really think about her blackness on a somewhat academic level or somewhat on a personal level, not just just not just as an identity marker, but what actually and I didn't like how it affects her life and the lives of those who look like her so I think that so I do think that she actually will be fine because like yeah. Nick said I'm I'll I, and that first press release yeah was bullshit whatever and I also agree with both of you that on the didn't do nothing thing I definitely jumped on the Twitter bandwagon and all the Malcolm X memes about you have to be really deep in racism to know the phrase didn't do because <laughs> I still stand by this you can't popularize a term that isn't popular if in my opinion you've popularized the term these last three, this last week, it's now popular now. The only definition is on Urban Dictionary. Yeah, it, w- it wasn't really a thing. Yeah, personally for me, I had never heard that word in my life, that phrase before last week. But we have to take into consideration only it's something Black Americans would hear. It's not something we would hear over here. A hundred percent, no, agree, agree. But still, no, but no, but this is the thing. I follow a lot of Black Americans, and they were saying the same thing, and they never heard that phrase either. That's my point. I'm not talking about Black Britain. It's not in like a rap song. It's not really any, like in terms of like threat. I know you said that you did your investigation, Eden, which was really good actually in terms of find, trying to find the core rootings of the word. But I just, yeah, I just feel like it was really but, niche, like really but, niche subcultures, like really niche. But that, the, the reason for that is because from my research, it's something that existed in the alt-right movement. It's not something that existed in, say, popular culture or... Oh, okay. No, but that's my point. That's exactly my point. I still, so I stand by the point that you have to be really deep into alt-right rhetoric to even know that word. That's my point. Okay. That's the point I'm making. So I'm not surprised Black Americans didn't know it. Either it's not just a me as a black British person. It's the, yeah. it, African Americans were even like, whoa, never heard that word in my life before. But I think I think she thought I, I think what she's I think she's conflating the fact that she heard it on those the webcam chats where they used it against her, and then she thought, oh, this is a term that everyone tries to get yeah. black people at, and she yeah. misinterpreted it. So that's why she's saying she popularized it. But I know what you mean. I don't think you can popular. I, I agree with you. I don't think you can do it. Because it's a very niche word. It's not, You didn't popularise anything. I think now it's been popularised. I think now, in 10 years' time, will be someone will say, it was popularised after the Doja Controversy 2020. <laughs> I, so, I think for me, what I've got from this, that Doja Cat is very warped. Or was. And she's on her way. She's starting to come into the light. If I'm going to... Actually, I'm not going to quote this man. Um, I think Nicholas I'm talking about. I'm going to quote him. Um... <laughs> Nick, I'll just say it's um, a particular activist we saw in New Orleans last year. Anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) So to quote him, I don't want to quote him, but she's coming into the light. I think for the first time she's really, really having that sense of awakening that I think not only just we as black people have, like I had my racial awakening, my Malcolm X, Angela (laughs) Davis... Richard Wright's revolutionary moment when I was like 17, 18. But I know that's a thing for a lot of biracial people too, especially if they are raised in predominantly white communities or with their white family. I think she's having that now at 25 or however old she is. So for that, I think she will be fine because I think I think that even even though a lot of people have cancelled her in terms of our community, there are a lot of people who are, I think are willing to give her the grace because it's clear that there's a lot of miseducation and a lot of internal 
confusion yeah. and confliction and just lack of nuance. I think, like, like we were making these jokes last week, but I think she does need to read Malcolm X. I think she doesn't need to read The Immortal of Henry Alex. She needs to read these things. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. she needs to read um, Akala's Natives. You know, even Claudia Rankin <laughs> and so on and so forth. I can go on with all these black literary writers in, in the canon. Nikki Giovanni, you know, Jill Scott, you know, she had to educate us on that live. Like, you know, Doja Cat, I, I, that's, that's where I am with it. So she's going to be fine. And also she benefited from the fact that we've moved on onto the stupidity of celebrities who commented on George Floyd, like Shamik Moore. So she's benefited from that also. Yeah, she, the timing um, is uncanny. I do think... The timing is unfortunately uncanny. I do think currently, though... It is a bad time for her to be talking about her blackness at the moment. I think a lot more people are searching for basically coon activity. <laughs> and with what's going on currently, with seeing her um, kind of talk about how she wasn't comfortable in her blackness, a lot of people are going to be onto her more for that. So I know we said previously in like last episode, this is probably the best time for her to be in this position um, in terms of being invisible to the backlash. But I think because everything's heightened to do with race at the moment, it could only possibly get worse for her, if I'm being honest. I don't know if I really believe she's on a journey. I do hope she is. But I mean, we're going to have to see. We are. See if she keeps up with it. We'll never, but we'll never know that. And we we'll, never know that. And also, I think we need to stop expecting every black artist to be a, uh, to be Huey P. Newton or, or, or fucking Asata Shakur like they're artists 100% but you don't need to be no but this no but this is the thing though but I see a lot of you on Twitter like oh this person ain't talking this person ain't talking let them sing and rap that's what they're supposed <laughs> to do they're not supposed to be on on the podiums um, talking about spewing out racial critical theory yeah you all you all you need to do at the very least is post the petition post the donation links and post um, a screenshot of the post donate that is all i need that's it because let me tell you something we've got ti saying wakanda what that's what we have today wait was that that was real about it was fucking real he could be saying atlanta about fucking wakanda that because atlanta is black it is wakanda and they are safe that is what we have as our leaders. No, but again, who is asking TI questions? This is why <laughs> I, I always say this. Who is asking these? He stood up on the podium, yeah, to advocate for black writers to stop because we're in Wakanda. Yeah, what? that is the context. I'm done. I'm done. That is the context of our black leaders. That, that's who's leading us. So this, so back to my point about um, um, whether you believe those guys changed or not. I don't need to see it. <laughs> I don't need to. I don't need to see it. I hope, like, I hope she, you know, when it's appropriate and with the right tone and when it makes sense. Yes, you know, tweet something or do something in one of your music videos or your songs. But I'm not expecting you to be flipping me out, Angelou. I, I'm not expecting that of Deja Cat. Nor will I ever. Yeah, yeah. Or T. Or Ti. Or oh, we good on or, that. We or good. OV or whoever these other these other people. So I think Doja Cat is just like you know I just hope you have people around you. And I found out, which to my surprise, that both her managers are black, which I found out a few days ago. Just to my black opinion. women or men, woman and man. Right, we need the black woman. <laughs> I'm a black man, actually. Actually, because the burden doesn't always need to be on black women, so we need a black woman and black man. You know, we need to get you know 
paternal parents. So in a very uh, con- congested, rambled way, as it always is when I speak about these things, those are my thoughts. So um, um, I will support her from afar. I definitely won't be caping for her like I was a few weeks ago, but I still stand by the fact that her album's good, and I just hope she she learns. That's why I want her, but she does some, does the reading. So all those things we joked about last week, no, read those books. If you are Doja's team, if you are listening, I have a reading list. You know, I can give you my dissertation bibliography. Um, I did my dissertation on colorism, interracial relationships. Hey, I can give it to you. Oh, oh wow, 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 the actual... Well, the actual irony is racial relationships. The actual irony. Wow. Um, <laughs> Do you want to actually DM that to her? Maybe. Yeah. If, one, if someone wants to reach out to me, I can send you my dissertation that I wrote in my final year of uni. Hey, here we go. <laughs> but not on the medium. Oh, yeah. So, Doja, read James Baldwin's Another Country. Definitely read that. <laughs> Definitely read that book. Definitely read that book. Definitely. Oh, Definitely. Gosh. Definitely read that book. All right, so I think we're going to cut it there. It's been a, a very different episode, I think. I think you listeners might have been able to tell the energy has been slightly different and we've been in a space of pure black, pos- well, black excellence. We kind of want more for our people and we're kind of very annoyed at the state of things at the moment whilst the coronavirus thing is going on. But I do hope that people are taking the time to actually take breaks away from things that are going on currently. Um, I hope people are actually taking time to look after their mental health. It's very important. And like always, we always ask what you're listening to during the week. So let us know if there's anything you want us to listen to. Um, Even if it's your own music, you can send it to us at D-A-T-S-P-O-D, Twitter, Instagram, Vero. And we're more than happy to listen. Um, Like I said, guys, I just want to really stress, look after yourselves. It's very important. And we really appreciate your time today. So you can find us individually at Eads McKenzie, IMN Tyrell and Shope Showerton. We are Don't Alert the Stands. If you could help us by rating the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts, that'd be amazing. I know we've got a lot of you now on Apple Podcasts as well now. And just kind of spread our podcast, really. We're a great music podcast that talks about politics, stand culture, black culture, um, so many different things. Um, and we're black British as well, so it's a slightly different angle. So I just want to end off by making sure that we say everyone's names and give them the the visibility that they deserve. So I want to shout out the family and friends of Armand Arbery, Tony McDade, George Floyd, Belly Mujiwa, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Brianna Taylor. So yeah, peace guys, and we, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Take a break from social media. Mm-hmm.